Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. Powered by SpannersReady.com, providing you podcasts and blogs. Hyrus, to produce your podcast by going to SpannersReady.com forward slash Hyrus. I'm your Tech Time host, Matt Trumpets, focusing on the brand new and shiny 2017 regulations. We have with us today the assistant technical editor at Motorsport.com, Matt Summers, to guide us through what we can expect next season. So, for those just finding us, we are an independent podcast, but we are delighted to be here on Downforce Radio. Downforce has the biggest collection of regular motorsport shows anywhere on the internet. Join Le Mans 24-hour commentator Jake Sanson for motorsport quiz show Pitboard. So, what are we giving you that you can't get elsewhere? This show is safe for work. We are keeping it clean here so you can play this with the kids in background or in the car and at work. So that's the housekeeping out the way. Details on how to join the conversation to follow. But first, let's meet the other participants on today's panel. We have with us, in addition to Mr. Summers, Catman F1, recently back from the States. And Catman, I just have to say this. Why did you not come visit me? <laughs> it's not like it's a short distance, Trumpets. It's just it's just like a Sunday drive. Because now, where were you exactly in the states? So I was uh, I was in San Francisco. Well, and you're just in New, New York, York, I believe. Yeah, it's yeah. just across the country. How far could that possibly be? That's right. It's like me driving from London to Baghdad. It's not not a problem. Yeah, except for slightly more scenic. I'd have to say lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also like to give a quick shout out to our uh, 
un uninvited guest spanners ready who will be monitoring the chat for us today and giving us a reality check when we wander off too far into tech land how's it going spanners hi hello there hi trumpets hi summers i don't think we've actually said hi not yet i, I was saving i well, was saving the best for last but, and okay. catman nice to have catman back as well yeah so my job is to do the chat as well as you know produce the show as well um, i'll press some buttons for you if you need some sound effects also my job is to reel you back when you're talking too clever, I'm going to use myself. I'm going to genuinely pipe up if I don't understand. Because we had a, a tweet from Rob Painter who said, Love tech time. In future, perhaps, take a step back and don't assume everyone has the same technical starting point. So I'll use me as the notch at which you need to be brought back to uh, for starting for tech. But uh, just a little bit of feedback from listeners before you get going, Matt. Uh, yeah, we had one from Kev D. He just wanted to say that he very much enjoys the Missed Apex podcast. He travels to work, which means an early start on a Monday morning, and knowing that he can listen to the podcast on his commute helps him to get to sleep on a Sunday night. He may be attributing too much credit to us. He's made a small pledge of five bucks a month. Wish it could be more. Uh, that's actually way more than we were expecting to chip in on Patreon. That's fantastic. I was going to say, actually, given the nature of this podcast, it may well help put him to sleep Sunday night. Depends we how much into tech you are or not. But yeah, if you can go to <laughs> SpannersReady.com, you can click the Support Us tab, uh, click Missed Apex, it'll take you to the Patreon. We're just looking for pledges of, of $1 or $2 a month. This month it's going towards equipment for Matt Trumpets to get on proper producing shows so I can get the hell out of the way on the tech show. Uh, we had a comment from Gary Gerhardt. I was going to say no relation to Gerhard Berger, but that would have been dumb, wouldn't it? Uh, love the show, guys. Always looking forward to new episodes. Thank you very much, Gary. We've had some Swedish people attacking me for blaming Ericsson and telling him to get in the sea. And uh, lots of people showing me videos of why it wasn't his fault. I'm not convinced. I have to say I'm not convinced. So maybe we'll say stand near the sea. I was going to say the stewards were not really convinced by that argument either, to be honest. Oh, yeah. He's got like a grid penalty, hasn't he? Yeah. And points too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so there you go. But I had a, a couple of <laughs> tweets. Well, look, I had one tweet saying, as usual, you're wrong. And I thought, that's lovely. And then there was a couple of tweets agreeing with it. So I, I like, I clicked them to see more of their posts. And sure enough, they were Swedish. So I was like, there. Uh, last email from Greg Lara. I am a technology geek and I thoroughly enjoy the Tech Time segment with Matt and Summers. It's hard to find detail, detailed information on recent F1 technology innovations and what they're supposed to accomplish. More, please. Thank you for that, Greg. Well, start by searching everything Matt Summers does on the internet. That's a good way to find the recent tech innovations. And just to say, I have read, I think I've read all the feedback. We had so much feedback. I was very surprised after the Monaco review show. Uh, mostly good. I think I responded to all the emails, but I have read everything um, that you guys have sent and and really, really appreciated it. So So keep it coming. The best way to get me is spannersready at gbell.com. Sorry, Matt. Right. So now that you're done with that, can we introduce the real reason we're all here? Yeah. Mr. Matthew Sommerfeld, Summers F1 Assistant Technical Editor at motorsport.com, who is salivating to get his teeth into next year's regulations. How's it I going, Summers? If, I, don't, I don't know if that's salivating. Um, uh, listening to the feedback that people have been giving me, I think everybody's a bit annoyed about what's going on with next year, but that's why we're here and that's why we'll try and cut through it. Right. Okay. Well, now now I'm really fascinated. When you say everybody, are you talking the technical folks in Formula One or the fans or literally everybody? 
Well, it's pretty much every fan I've spoken to are confused as to why we're going down this road. So uh, obviously the people within F1, they, they've got their own opinions and they tend to keep them to themselves just based on um, keeping the powers that be happy, I would presume. Uh, but yeah, the fans don't seem to be too impressed. Okay, then. Well, if we're going to talk about this, we're going to talk about a little bit of history too. And you brought this up, Catman. The regulations this year, as I understand it, one of the big goals was to improve the speed of the cars, but also to deal with overtaking, which seems to always be a problem. And you had mentioned that there was the overtaking working group, which has come up recently, that's conclusions were implemented for the 2009 series. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, back in 2009, they had the overtaking working group because they'd seen a massive drop off in overtaking over the years and they were concerned that they were losing fans because there there just wasn't enough overtaking. People were saying everything was boring. Um, I mean, back in the, the 80s, we had, you know, something like 40 overtakes per GP and that, and that had reduced to about 10 to 11 over the course of the 90s into 2000s. And how many of those were because a car had just stopped running, just out of curiosity? <laughs> and the fact that the grids were about 30 cars as well didn't help. Um, yeah, so basically everybody was saying, oh, this is really boring. You, you get to the front and you, you stay there. There's never a battle. So the overtaking working group um, were, were set out to try and uh, increase the, the amount of overtaking. Right. And I'm going to assume at this point, are are you looking at our show notes at all there, Catman? Uh, yep. All right. Because I, I went and did a bit of research on who the original overtaking working group was. You want to tell us? Yeah. So um, the uh, working group was set up with uh, Paddy Lowe, Pat Simmons and Roy Byrne from Ferrari. Um, and they were their, their goal was to to reduce the amount of downforce produced by about half and, and, and the drag this was back in 2009, to try and reduce it back to, to level seen a few years ago, back in 2006. And the, sorry, go on. Well, yeah, and, and, and this gets to another problem that we're talking about now. And uh, I think even summers, I was watching the IndyCar race yesterday, which I am missing today to do this, I will say. And even yesterday, now that they've added aero kits to the IndyCars, you had the announcers talking about aero wash. So you want to give us a quick overview of that? Yeah, well, it's all to do with sensitivity. So when a car gets in behind another, the ideal situation is that you use slipstreaming to be able to overtake. And obviously, in the recent past in Formula One, we've mitigated that problem by having DRS. Um, but that then makes life easy for, for the drivers in a certain respect because they can wait to a certain point on the track to an effect to an, effect a, an overtake. Um, the aero wash that you're talking about is probably best seen when we're in wet conditions and you see the rooster tails coming off the rear of the car. So that's basically the airflow that's moving across and underneath the car being pushed upwards, what's called upwash, and then obviously creates sensitivity to the car that's following behind. Where that upwash lands will have an effect on where the car behind can actually sit in behind and not destroy their tyres effectively. Right, and so to me what was interesting about this reading about it was that essentially the upwash creates an area of low density for your front wing, which means that it does not produce as much downforce because the air you're driving it through has less density because the air has been shoved up and over the top of the wing. But one of their findings was that as a result of that, you also had a very high energy 
in wash coming to fill that low density area. And if you look at the front wing and you see the center part of it has nothing's allowed there, that's because that's the area that is most sensitive and all the stuff at the side was meant to take advantage of this high energy inflow to try and add downforce back to the front wing. Yeah, Catman. Yeah, and that's why in 2009 they actually increased the width of the, the front wings to try and push that um, the downforce generating area further towards the edges rather than away from that central plane like you were just talking about. Right. So when they started, they were looking at about a two and a half second gap between the two cars. And when they finished, they had reduced it to about one and a half second a lap. And they figured with balance, you could get it to about one second a lap. And interestingly, they didn't want to go farther than that because they were very concerned about making overtaking too easy, which is indeed a common complaint we hear with DRS. Now, Summers, you want to jump in there? Yeah, so... I just go back to where we got with the front wing. So what you've got is effectively three pieces to the front wing. You've got the central section, which is what we always determine to be the Y250 section. So it's 250 millimetres away from the centre line of the car. Then on either side of that, you have the flapped region. Um, as Catman says, when we went to the new regulations in 2009, the front wing width was 1,800 millimetres, and that's what the width of the car was. So in other words, you, you basically got the full width of the car on the front wing. Um, that was to obviously try and help with the problem of the wash. Um, the problem is, is that the teams, as they always do, they try to find ways in which to improve their own performance. And obviously, they have no respect for the what is trying to be achieved in terms of the overtaking etc that's been put into place so you've got this tug of war going on between the regulations and the teams in the way that they catch up to those regulations so although obviously we've mentioned you mentioned Matt that there's a two and a half second deficit that was brought down to one and a half seconds rather rapidly most of the teams kind of extended that gap Yes, Spanners. Sorry, was that a good point for a listener question? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I just looked relevant. So firstly, before I get to the, the relevant question, we've got Fortis saying, Spanners, you're horrible at this. Bring back the beast. I think that's lovely. <laughs> I'm trying my best, okay? I'm used to being in charge. It's hard to submit. Uh, we have someone saying, oi, where's Baldy? Who said that, actually? I've written down the comment, but I didn't say who said that. But, you know, well, it, it, insults are nice. We've got someone saying, does Mist Apex block people on Twitter? Missed Apex podcast account blocks precisely one person on Twitter. So don't you feel special? And then we've got the relevant question, which is, would Summers know if the teams design offensive arrows on aero on their cars that is aero specifically designed to make it hard to follow and pass? And my prediction would be, Summers, if they do, it's Red Bull. <laughs> um, the answer to the question is no. Effectively, all they actually look at, though, is their own aero. They don't have any consideration in terms of what the the, the trailing car um, has an effect on. So they're only looking at their own individual performance. The only team that could actually deal with that problem, but they're no longer allowed to in terms of the regulations, are Sauber, because they can actually put two scale models inside their wind tunnel, um, but they're not allowed to through regulation. It was pre-2000. 2009 that they they got that sorted out with with Sauber. Okay, so I think we're about ready to move on to the 2017 regulations and see how they compare to the original goals of the overtaking working group. 
But before we do, I found a fascinating quote from Adrian Newey, who was accepting an award, and I just thought I'd read it to you real, real quick. The regulations we had for 2009 were the subject of a lot of research by the Overtaking Working Group. It's questionable whether they worked or not, but the process, I think, was correct. What's now happening is we've gone back to these piecemeal, piecemeal modifications, banning double diffusers or getting rid of barge boards. For me, it's very frustrating that it's not being thought out. It needs a clear goal and proper research. So often in Formula One, things are changed with very little research. And that was the Watkins Lecture at Autosport International 2010. And I'm just going to put it to you, Summers. Do you think that's the case for these regulations? Pretty much, yeah. I think, unfortunately, we're in a situation in Formula One where um, there's a knee-jerk reaction to everything. The original regulation change in 2014 came in um, because of certain criteria that the sport wanted to follow at the time. Um, these particular regulations, in my opinion, have come in, um, or they started to be formulated when the 2014 regulations were, were very immature. The cars were a lot slower. Um, from a public perspective, Formula One wasn't the spectacle that it should have been. But as we're now seeing, Formula One has become probably the pinnacle again in terms of the amount of power that the the cars are generating, the amount of downforce that they're generating, and the lap times are starting to fall because of it. And and fall rather precipitously, right? We're We're seeing times and practices that are getting close to lap records. Exactly, yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, anything else from the chat room there, Spanners? Uh, nothing for the minute. We're ready to rock on to your first tech subject. All right. And, and we will pass over. If you are bored on the internet, go look up the CDG rear wing because that's what it was going to be before they came up with the overtaking working group. All right. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, there was something, not from the chat room, but if you're listening to this podcast only, and come on, guys, join the live stream for goodness sake. If you're listening podcast only, you can follow along the pictures and the slides we're going to give you, although we are going to talk uh, as if there's no slides, at spannersready.com. You should be very familiar with that by now. Go to the tech gallery picture and look at the latest blog post, which is uh, regulations. 2017 and and you'll see all of these and you can follow along from your mobile phone while you're listening sorry matt do you want to do you want me to lay down some funky bass let's do that all right all right all right let's get to it shall we the first things we're going to want to talk about are how do the new regulations affect Aero, weight, and tires. Yeah, so they're the, they're the three main things realistically that you have to look at when you're designing the regulations. And one of the biggest issues I think that we've had since 2014 is not anything to do with aero or the power units themselves directly, but the actual weight that we've gained on the cars, you know, the, the major bloat. They're 60 kilograms heavier than they were in the 2013 season. Um, and weight is a significant issue in terms of performance. Right. I actually went and did a little bit of a historical research. And do you know, this is a quiz, Spanners, do you know? No. How much cars weighed in 1994? Oh, yeah. We talk of little else at the Spanners dinner table. It's, it's all the kids. <laughs> are, constant, hey, pop quiz, kids. How much did the Williams 81982 car weigh? No. 
Right. Well, in 94, the the minimum weight was 505 kilos. Any idea what it was in 2000? See, I this is the thing. I, it's 600 kilos. Do you know what it went to in 2009? 645. 605 is what I found, but that's 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 it was it was very static for that whole decade. And then as you say now it's up to 722. So Formula One basically needs to go on a diet, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean that that, that that's a major performance differentiator. You know, two hundred kilograms is what you're talking about, effectively more than two hundred kilograms in in that time frame. And you've got to accelerate that weight. You've got to break that weight. Um, you've got to create more downforce to be able to deal with that amount of weight. And that, that's partly why these regulations have been changed. So where is that weight coming from, Summers? Uh, well, obviously, the power units themselves are much heavier than the the previous generation of engines. Um, I think the actual figure that the FIA put on to Im- to level the regulations for 2014 was something around about 70 kilograms. That was just purely down to power unit weight. Um, so, yeah, it's it's to do with many contributing factors, but the power unit is a big per- percentage of that. And and part of that problem is, if if I'm not entirely mistaken, is it's not enough for the power unit to be able to generate enough power to get the horsepower to weight ratio where you want it. It's also it's just a handling thing. The heavier the car, the harder the handling is. Pretty pretty much, yeah. It's it, it's a dynamic factor. Um, it's not got to do with horsepower at all. It, it's more to do with the the actual dynamics of the car. Okay. Weight was such an issue a couple of years ago that the, the drivers started becoming anorexic because they were just trying to skim any weight they could off. Yeah, that, w- that was actually 2014 because the regulations changed and the power units weighed significantly more. There were certain teams that were actually way over the limit um, in 2014. Teams like Sauber that just don't have the budget, you know, so that, that had a considerable effect on as you say driver weight that is the first time i've ever not wanted to be an f1 driver watching them i think there was a restart in 2014 somewhere and they were sitting there just like picking on a little tiny bit of like look tasteless looking fruit i was like nah f1's not for me man yeah well every kilo counts and and fuel effect alone is a great way to explore that because you know for every kilo of fuel you burn off you lose tents or so at the track yeah spanners the chat room has a weight related question mg5904 an american who's been missing for the last couple of chats i hope you've got a note mg he says that weight gain is absurd why not promote r&d into weight savings i think the point he's making is that is it more expensive to do r&d into weight savings than it is into aero research i'm going to take a punt and say they are so well honed for aero research that they go to that first before they go to nicky louder trimming bolts tactics <laughs> i think the biggest problem though is the fact that the the components are necessary um and the safety requirements you have to remember that since 1994 which is what matt's talking about originally when we were down at 505 the safety requirements were completely different to what to what we have now and that's going to have a significant effect on the weight of the car as such yeah, safety definitely matters. And the only other thing I want to add before we, we, we move on to look at image number two and let you talk about it is that originally the power units meant to go with these cars were going to be I-4s, not V6s. 
And when I thought about that was down, I believe Ferrari stumped for that change because they, they don't have a four-cylinder car that, that they want to flog. But I thought about that and I wondered what difference that might make to Mercedes because part of their part of their magic was the location of their turbocharger and the way they split it. Would they have been able to do a similar thing with an I-4? It's not necessarily something you have to answer right now, but that did occur to me. Yeah, um, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have changed much in terms of the running order, I don't think, because it was all down to research and development costs. I think Mercedes put a significant amount more money into their development in the early phase, which obviously paid off on track. Um, the architecture of that engine would have been different and wouldn't have allowed a split turbo design, but the original regulations for the i4 allowed a twin turbo anyway, so it was a completely different layout. All right. Well, thanks for thanks for answering that question for me. All right. So tell us about Figure Two. What do we have going on here? Wait a minute. Okay. Was I meant to have put Figure One up at any point? No, we kind of skipped over it. Oh, okay. Oh, Fair enough. See, what was? Oh, that was the CDG was the, wing. Yes. Yeah. yeah the 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 wing can, that can, was so ugly that nobody would want to watch F one ever again. <laughs> yeah, and and would have been uh, tragically made the arrow wash much much worse, according to according to Lil in an interview that I read, because it would have killed the high energy inflow for the front wing yeah, and the diffusers as well. All right. So tell us about figure two. Okay. So image two is um, something that I've drawn up and it's basically an overview of the, the car itself. Um, I've basically overlaid the 2016 design with the 2017 design just to show from overhead what differences we're looking at. Um, obviously one of the key areas is the tires. So they're increasing in width, which everybody's aware of. At the front of the car for this year, they're 245 millimeters wide. They're increasing to 305. And at the rear of the car, they are 325, increasing to 405. So obviously the, the net effect of that should be more mechanical grip, or that was the intention of increasing the width of the tires. And one presumes a better ability to deal with the downforce and other energies being put through the tires, which we've seen the starting pressures raised rather drastically over the last year and a half ever since uh, Vettel at Spa. Yeah, so obviously we've talked extensively about tire pressures in the past and the, the way in which you know these tires are extremely temperature sensitive. So increasing the width of the tire is going to marginalize things like that. Um, I do think it's something that might need to be looked at again uh, going into 2018 to try and sort the the, the how it lies after 2017, uh, but that all depends heavily on how Pirelli develop their tyres, of which obviously they have had had some testing days added, um, and some of the teams are going to make specific cars for. Right, and and uh, yeah, Catman. Um, with the increase in width in, in the tyres, would that change how much they deform under load through the corners, or would only changing the wheel rim? diameter actually affect that everything to do with tires has an as an effect of some description and yeah there will be some change in the deformation of the tire but that's highly um that's something pirelli will will design within the tire the structure of the tire um you know when we had the issues in silverstone with the blowouts was it 2012 uh 2013 yeah. um you know those tires that year in my opinion, from a technical perspective, were actually the best we'd had from Pirelli. Unfortunately, the teams lambasted Pirelli and caused major issues whereby the tyres needed 
to be changed. But it was only because the teams had realised that they couldn't run the tyres the way that they were supposed to be. So they were running them indirectionally. Um, so, you know, now Pirelli has more control over the, the, the tyres situation with the FIA. I think we might see something going forward where they might produce a better product. Right. And let's just be very clear to mention that in particular, it was the sidewalls. They moved to Kevlar sidewalls. And one of the big problems, and it was especially a problem for Red Bull, was that the deformation of the tires really messed with their aero. And this was the same time that we saw, and the only time that we really saw Weber ahead of Vettel was during that era. And once they switched the tires, or no, never mind. I think, I think it's time for me to whinge once again that I, I lost money when they made that change because Mercedes looked, <laughs> they looked genuinely in with a shout. Hamilton was, was doing fantastic and it was just after Silverstone when it was in fact, ironically, his blowout was probably one of the ones that caused the investigation uh, to be made and he, he was running first, I think, and ended up fourth in that race. And then for the rest of the season, Vettel was just away. But until then, and my money was looking good, I stood to make a grand off not much. Yeah, well, and that's that's the way it works. It's a game of politics as well as everything else. But I think you have a guest on the line for us there, Spanners. Shop He's on that saying point. he has a, a guest on the line. I have, but I mean, you've you've surprised me somewhat, so I have to. Okay, well, we can talk a little bit more about 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 tires and stuff like that. So, but overall, do you like to change the wider tire summers? Um, I think it's something that needs to be done in terms of the... Hello? Um, I'm not 100% certain that it's something that was necessary in terms of the de- the overall design of the new cars. But, you know, it's all, it's all part and parcel. You have to look at it holistically. Right. And, and, and speaking of holistically, just for those who are interested, weight-wise, we're talking 328 at the front and 387 at the back. And those are minimums uh, for qualifying is what's been specified in, in next year's regulations. All right, Spanners, you got Okay, it. I caught up with it. Worst producer ever, but I caught up with it. Hey, do you know what this dynamic is like, Matt, when we do it this way? It's like you're ah. Fraser Crane and I'm Roz. That's how, that's how it feels to me. I like it. Okay. I'm not going to shy away from that comparison if anyone wants to, wants to make it. Joining us on the line is Charlie Briscoe of Team Venture Racing. Hey, Charlie. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, good. We had you two weeks on two weeks ago, and you pointed us um, to your crash that you can find by searching Brisker and Brands, uh, in which you crashed your Mini. And in the subsequent w- weeks, it, it was quite popular in our Missed Apex Facebook group. So I needed to get you back on for two things. One... Explain to me how you crashed on a straight. Um, <laughs> it wasn't me; it was the car. It was on a straight, Charlie. There's uh... yeah, and when and the, what happened? Uh, the, do you want to know what happened? <laughs> the um, there's a camber and tow um, bolt that sheared, and basically the rear wheel pointed inwards, which threw the car. And I was, uh, and that's why it veers violently to the left. And throws me oh, into the. Oh no! You crashed on a strike. <laughs> Very much so. Yes. But... Uh, unfortunately, the video and and I suggest stopping now. The stop the podcast. Go on YouTube and search Brisker Brands and watch that. Unfortunately, the video doesn't show any of that. It shows no. you bimbling on nicely on the straight and then just veering into the gravel. And and I uh, I don't not quite sure how you got away with that. That must have hurt at least a little. Uh, it, I was unconscious for oh. quite a bit. 
And um, well, you get thrown around, you're going to get unconscious. But I, um, the only injury I actually sustained was because my foot was still on the accelerator. I banged my ankle off the off the brake pedal, and that was it. Is that the worst injury you've had from your racing? Yes, that yeah. is it. And I've done some stupid things. Now, Charlie, I tell you what, speaking of not stupid things, on the live stream, and I will put it up on SpannersReady.com as well, we have a picture of your racing car. And I'm so, so excited. Uh, On the rear left quarter, you have missed Apex, hashtag F1 podcast. We could not be more grateful. Well, it's on the left and right, so you can see it when it's uh, spinning. (laughs) Uh, Have you put it on upside down so when you're upside down, we can read it as well? I'll put it on the roof. That's so that, a, as it's flipping round. <laughs> so if you crash, make sure you end up on your right-hand side so that the overhead cam picks up the missed apex, the missed apex sign. When are you next racing, Charlie? Uh, it will be uh, the 17th of this month, uh, 17th, 18th, 19th at Rockingham Motor Speedway. Way, way. Is that how they say it? Rockingham, that is north of Corby? Correct. Ah, uh, yeah, I've been meaning to get down there, actually. I will, I will make every effort to come down and see you at some point this season. Do recommend that everybody check out Team Venture Racing on Facebook and Twitter and search Brisker Brands to laugh at friend of the <laughs> show, you. Charlie Brisker. Charlie, thanks for joining us, mate. Sorry we were late. That's no problem. The pleasure to speak to you. Have a great evening. See you, boys. Cheers, mate. Matt, back right. to you. All right. So what do we say we put the pressure immediately back on Spanners to jump into the chat room and catch us up? Because I see some actual questions in there. Uh, okay, so that means uh, that you have spotted some questions that you think would be relevant, and I have too. I'm not. I'm not stalling for any reason. Last lap podcast says that given the talk of the cars, I'm assuming wheel spin will be less of an issue than current tires because there's more of a surface patch. Is that right, Summers? Yeah, more contact patch, so traction should be should be a less of an issue. And aero effect and unsprung rotational weight with larger tyres should be interesting. Unpack some of that for me. Okay, so obviously the inertial inertial weight of the tyre is going to have a major impact on the dynamics of the car, something that we probably got covered later in the podcast. Um, But basically it's going to have a major impact on braking forces, uh, suspension forces, etc., Right. And I have one from our Facebook group, um, which is, it was about the focus of development. And and is it again going to be aero? Um, and they gave the example of the Coke bottle, Kawanda, being a big focus in 2012. And they also would like to know about the Y250 Vortex having the same effect with the new regulations. Or does okay. it change that much? Okay. So first thing is, yeah, it's going to have a massive development effect because... The aero package in its entirety is completely different to what we have now. So development is going to be rapid, um, especially if one particular team finds something that one of the others hasn't. Um, That tends to be a a situation in Formula 1. You have a lot of convergence. So um, things like the Coanda exhaust, obviously one team started that and then you get everybody wanting to do it because they can see the performance advantage from it. And it's cheaper to steal it than it is to figure it out yourself. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All sometimes, right. sometimes it's better to be last than it is to be first. 
Indeed. So he also asked about the Y250 Vortex, which is, if I'm not incorrect, generated by the front wing. So why don't you go ahead and give us a bit of a chat about the front wing and nose, which we see a huge change in. Yeah. So um, going back to the overview picture, you'll see that the front wing width has been changed again in the new regulations. And that is to deal with the width change of the tyres. So it's going up from 650 millimetres up to 1800 millimetres. Now, the, the whole overall width of the car will be about two metres, so it will still run a bit short of the the, the wheels, uh, the wheel edge. If you mean number three, spanners. Okay, bring we've up got a number picture. three. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honouring highly requested new colours for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah, we've got a picture of the front wing, and I've basically highlighted the front wing and the change in, in overall. We've got a green section and a blue section. The green section is obviously the new front wing, and you'll notice that there's a swept design to the front wing, um, and that will inherently change the flow pattern around the car um, and also should have an effect on how the overtaking situation um, develops going forward. Yeah, that's so. Uh, uh, we've got a relevant question in the chat from la- last last lap podcast. I'll say it in a southern way. Last lap podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's asked: Is the aero at the front of the car worse for following cars than the rear wing and various diffusers? Does that make sense to you? It's not making sense to me. Um, is the aero at the front of the car now worse than this year? So I think he's saying: Are the twenty seventeen Front wing is going to make it easier or, or better to follow. Sounds like the question. Right, okay, so it depends. Is is the the question um, the answer to the question? Because basically, we're in a situation again where teams might find some way of manipulating the regulations to their advantage. So obviously, the swept design of the front wing will change the the way in which that the airflow moves from the the car in front. Um, the reason that that wing has been designed in that way in my opinion it's not been openly discussed um with from the teams or, or the fia but i believe that they've gone back to the the 2009 overtaking working groups um research and they've basically concluded that the neutral section uh that they introduced was kind of working but the problem is is that 
you need to shift the focus forward so that the wake doesn't cause the problem further down further in front of the car so by increasing the distance from the bulkhead to the front wing which is increasing by about 200 millimeters if you see the overview you'll see how much further forward it is that should then have an effect on how the airflow meets with the front wing and then how it moves rearward down the car yeah right. that kind of makes sense actually even to me so I'm, I'm hoping that that means our listeners will follow that as well thanks Thomas. thanks for kind of go ahead thanks for meeting us at our level <laughs> catman what'd you got so, so if they're increasing the width of the front wing, are they increasing the width of the central portion to compensate, or is it just the lateral portions with the downforce generation parts that they're increasing the width of? Just the exterior section of the wing. The Y250 remains. It's still the same as it has been in, in previous seasons. But what's actually happening is, is there's a triangular section now being added in front of the neutral section to allow the swept wing. Now, this is an area where, personally, I think there might be some differences between each team because, unfortunately, I don't think the regulations have been written quite correctly in terms of the triangular central section. Um, I think that there could be different designs per team. All right, so you're going to have to explain this because the question that I had right off the bat looking at this front wing is it looks like with the delta shape and the longer nose, what you really wind up with is your elements kind of similarly placed as to this year but when you talk about the y250 in the measurement is that 250 measured perpendicular to the front nose or is it measured along the axis of the front wing it's measured from the center line so it's always 250 millimeters from the center line as it is now so the actual vortex that is usually generated from there won't change that will be very very similar the only way it will change is the fact that you've obviously got this the swepness to the wing so obviously the airflow that's coming onto the wing will be affected by that um, and the way that it's collated and this is why i think the regulations um, are a little too open-ended in terms of the triangular front section to the neutral section and and how is that specifically you see some teams being able to take advantage of it cuz this 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 gets to the nut of where things go wrong in terms of their regulation okay so the biggest shift that we've seen since the 2014 regulations come in is obviously the high nose being reduced significantly by the FIA now personally there's obviously some situations where that has down to safety but for me, there's some situations where it's come down to the FIA trying to reduce downforce because that trend has been in place for 20-odd years. You know, they've been always been trying to get a high nose to get airflow underneath. But what they also want to do is they want to use the front wing to create a footprint, an aero footprint that, that can be used downstream of the car. And the reason we've seen the shift to these sort of protrusion noses as such is the way in which that they then work with the neutral section of the nose the neutral section of the front wing sorry so it's all about sort of shadowing what's going on with the nose with what's going on underneath and the two airflow structures work together as a sort of shadow of one another okay all right well that that makes sense to me and i would just assume based on my reading about the 2009 group that by having that delta shape, you move the elements back so they can take better advantage of your higher energy air that's in rushing to fill the the upswept air from the rear wing you're following. Is that the basic idea then? Yeah. So, so for me, everybody's been talking about the, 
these regulations being a major problem in terms of overtaking. But I think they've actually been quite clever in the way that they've put them together. I think they are trying to increase the speed by the five seconds that they've said that they want to increase speed by. But they've also thought quite thoroughly through how they deal with the problem of overtaking. And I don't think we're going to see a massive drop-off, but I don't think we're going to see a massive increase in overtaking. I think we're going to kind of be somewhere in the middle and I think we'll be where we are now, if anything. Right. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, one of the most entertaining things is the front wing this year is going to be exactly the same length that was recommended back in 2009. Yes. All right. So we're ready to move on to our second view of the overhead image. Is that correct? Is that where we yes. are? Yeah. Image two yeah. again, uh, which is basically, again, we're looking at the, the, the top down, a plan view of the, the, the car. And what we need to concentrate on here is the rear wing, uh, because obviously that has changed um, in terms of its, its dimensions too. In this plan view, you can basically see um, that the rear wing has been increased in width so when the 2009 regulations came in, they, they narrowed the, the rear wing down to 750 millimetres. Um, and now they're re-increasing that width to 950 millimetres. Right. And that original change was done to, to improve the high energy air coming in. And so do you think this is going to have the opposite effect then? It's all about changing the wake profile is, is what they're trying to do. You know, the, the reason that they did it in 2009 is because they had a specific idea of what they were going to do with the upwash that was coming off the rear of the car. Since then, they've obviously learned a few other things and they're trying to implement something different. And their idea is that this will allow the car behind to get in closer. Right. And and that's not all. That's not the only change that you're detailing here, too, because you're also talking about the barge boards and the side pods. Yeah. So, um, just quickly mentioning the barge boards um, in the two the original 2009 regulations, which if you follow the regulations like I do, it was actually supposed to be 2008 that we had those regulations come into play, not 2009. Um, in that that particular set of regulations, the barge boards were completely uh, completely deleted. There were no barge boards that were taken away from the car entirely, and it's because they are quite important to the generation of downforce. Not only obviously the way in which that they move air around the car, but how they actually create a structure that helps the floor to generate downforce. Um, so they've for the 2017 regulations. We're back to barge boards similar to sort of the 2004 era, Schumacher sort of era, um, huge barge boards. Right, and presumably uh, that will give us more real estate for advertising then. <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> let's say we can have a few uh, Red Bull cans on the side of the car again. <laughs> and what about the side pods now? How are those changing? Um, now, the side pods are swept again. As, as, as well as the front leading edge of the floor, um, they're swept backwards just like the front wing. And that's all to do with obviously the change in philosophy for the front wing and also the barge boards being increased in size again. So it's all about um, changing the, the philosophy of, of the car as a, as a whole. Right. And that's, that's the width as well as the... Yeah, they're actually increasing the, the maximal um, distance that the the floor and the side pods can extend to. So currently, the maximum is sixteen hundred, and that will be increased to eighteen hundred millimeters. Right. And, 
And how do you see the change? Oh, hang on. Spanner's got a question for us. Yeah, but I've, I've lost it. There was a, a question. Oh, yes. Here we go. Um, right. No, I've completely missed it. Carry on. <laughs> right, Evan. So, so how are the changes in the floor ahead of the rear tire going to affect the cars next year? Okay, so looking at it from above, um, you may have noticed that over the last few years that the teams have started to proliferate the front part of the, or the in front of the rear tyre with slots and strakes and all these turning devices. And what they're there for is to mitigate a problem which we call tyre squirt. And basically when the tyre deforms um, under load, it creates a, an airflow pattern that pushes into the diffuser wall um, and basically destroys the diffuser's performance. Now, obviously, when the car's in under dynamic load, that's re- really when you want diffuser downforce. So if you can remove the tyre squirt issue or limit it to a certain degree, then going to increase performance and allow the driver to take a, a, a more aggressive apex speed. Um, so that area of the car has become pretty critical over the last few years, and I still think it will have... Uh, quite a big impact going forward but the change in the diffuser which we'll talk about in a moment might cancel that out right so i did have a uh, go ahead catman so the slots in the in the floor just in front or just to the side of the tire they're trying to deflect the airflow away from the diffuser so down underneath underneath it or the the create a sort of ceiling vortex so the re- the reason we had coander exhaust was for a s- similar um scenario so basically you you're turning the airflow around and and creating a vortex that runs along the side of the diffuser wall um which creates sort of an air skirt that allows the diffuser to operate at its at an optimal level well i had a question looking at the rear wing it seems like to me it is further adrift of the rear wheels than it's been in previous years and yeah, so, i'm just sorry. yeah go ahead so we're, we're on to slide four now, yeah? Yeah, yeah, we could go ahead to slide yeah, four. Probably yeah, probably slide no. four will probably be a long uh, in a minute. Just uh, keep talking. Keep talking. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. slide four shows it, shows it more effectively. Um, and, and basically I've drawn on there the, the picture. Um, in yellow, you can see the barge boards, which is, again, I'll just mention they've increased significantly compared to uh, what we're currently seeing. But as you mentioned, the rear wing has also been displaced from the rear, rear wheel centre line. Um, and it's also been swept backwards, which, as we have already talked about, will significantly change the wake profile because of the interaction between the diffuser and the rear wing elements. Right. And I, I'm just thinking more basically in terms of handling, because it seems like the point of maximum downforce is going to be farther behind the rear wheels than we've previously seen. And I'll be honest, I don't know how that affects the handling of the car. And I'm just curious if you have an opinion about that. The front wing has moved forward and the rear wing has moved further rearward. So, yes, it will have an effect on the dynamics of the car. And I think it will change the way in which the the driver has a feel for things. Um, Because as you said, element is actually not on the rear wheel anymore. It's actually further back. So it, it may have a... A detrimental effect to, to driving style in, in some respect. 
Right. And and I didn't ask this, and I'll be honest, I didn't actually figure it out ahead of time. But the wheelbase looks like it's either exactly the same axle to axle or maybe even a little short of this to, to go along with this change in the in the center of pressure in the front and rear wing. Okay, so wheelbase is something that's decided by individual teams. It's not something that's regulated. So there are certain criteria in terms of where things have to be spaced from things like the rear edge of the cockpit, uh, the front edge of the cockpit, etc. But there there are elements in in that respect that where you can actually make wheelbase changes. Um, I think the biggest example might be McLaren back in 2012. I think they designed two cars, a short and a long wheelbase. Um, oh, right, I, yeah. Yeah, I think Hamilton had one for Monaco, the short wheelbase, and they decided to retain that for much of the rest of that season. Um, so, yeah, it depends on a, on a lot of things, but there's there's no set wheelbase with, with these cars. Okay. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks for thanks for that. Yeah, spanners. Yeah, we are running tragically short of time, but I think this does give Summers an excuse to come back and do a part two for 2017 regs, if you could bear such a thing, Summers. <laughs> of course. Uh, now, um, I will collate some of the questions from the chat, some of the hard ones that I couldn't understand, and I will check Wikipedia for the pronunciations of some of those questions. Um, but a good one from Flywheel, who you're familiar with, Matt Trumpets? Yep. Uh, he, yeah, yeah. he has had to go, but he wants to ask you, Summers, if you feel overall the 2017 regulations will have a good effect on Formula One. That's a heavily opinionated section, isn't it? Once um, again, we would like you to stake your reputation on what everyone would have forgotten by 2017. Don't worry. Yeah. Per- personally, from an aesthetic point of view, I hate these regulations. From for me personally, I do not like the swept elements, but I do think that we'll potentially see the same sort of racing that we're already used to. Aesthetically, though, don't the cars look horrible at the start of any regulation change, and then you just you just get used to it. It's like when your newborn baby comes out; those things look horrific, but you come to love them. You get used to them. <laughs> I, I thought they were actually changing these regulations partly to make the cars look a bit more futuristic and a bit more aesthetically pleasing. So, so you're saying you don't actually like the look of them now? Well, that that was supposed to be part of the reason, but I just can't see it. I don't understand what is so great about diagonal lines. <laughs> well, they're longer, aren't they? <laughs> uh, okay. okay, so in the chat room quickly, um, uh, Fortis is saying, well, this formula should should suit the naturally talented Lewis Hamilton, and slips like that is why the chat room are continuing to call for Tony Thunderbeast Barnard to come back. Stop being mean, guys. I'm really trying hard. Um, and people are saying, well, it doesn't matter the formula. Lewis will rise to the challenge. But uh, also there's people agreeing that the long nose looks silly. Again, I think we'll get used to it. Will this suit the, air quotes, naturally more talented Lewis Hamilton? And by naturally more talented, do we mean hangs on, hangs on for dear life in the corners? Is that to me? Yeah, you're the only one who knows stuff. I'm not asking Catman. <laughs> Look at him. <laughs> um, yeah, driver characteristics at the end of the day, you know, everybody's different, aren't they? And and Lewis is particularly good at understanding or having a very good feel for things. So, yeah, it might might suit him. It might not. Look at Kimmy. You know, there couldn't be a, a, a probably better driver that, can't drive a particular type of regulation set because he's just been well not very good in this regulation set that we're in at the moment 
Okay, Thank so you. Uh, you put out a Twitter shout, and I have a very short quiz. So would you like to do your Twitter questions first, or do some Canadian GP quiz tap stuff? Let's do the Twitter questions first, Matt, I think, because the preview is yep. like a whole separate thing. Like that plan. Let's do it. Okay, so let's have a quick glance through. Um, I'm probably going to pronounce all these people wrong as, as I do this. Um, I've got a question from the Sim Racer, and they are asking, how will, in brackets, stupid Halo influence the car aerodynamics? I wonder which solution he prefers. Mm, I wonder. Um, well, for starters, it's going to be the Halo, um, because personally I, I, I've heard rumblings from the FIA that the aero screen isn't really ready. Um, so for 2017, it's my understanding that there'll be a Halo of some description. There is a secondary halo design on the board at the moment. So, um, is it going to basically act as a wing right in front of the driver's face? Well, yeah, basically it's a it's an aerodynamic structure. So you know it is going to have an effect. Now it's all going to be the same for everybody, but everybody can design their car around it. So everybody's going to be able to make changes based on their own aero philosophy, um, and it might gain something for somebody else that might be different for somebody else um right so let's move on to the next question which is how come the wider tire how can the wider tires help improve overtaking and will f1 tracks be widened oh no okay no no, no. there are no stupid questions there, no there, everyone stop looking like that no I, I i get the first part of the question but for tracks being widened widened surely he's talking about the tilker type tracks that have loads of room on either side so maybe it's not that daft the question possibly monaco yeah you're not going to widen monaco are you yeah, no, no. knock down a few million dollar houses to do that. Oh, no. Um, so what unless is... knock down a castle in Baku. So what if Monaco just turns <laughs> into a procession then? Oh. Oh, yeah. oh hang on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so, uh, yeah. So what about the first part of the question? Well, obviously, it's, we're back to tyres again. And um, I don't think that they specifically will help with overtaking. But um, it's all, holistically, it's part of the package. So it will have a, its own impact. And I th- think it will have an effect on certain drivers. I th- again, certain drivers are better at managing tyres. So those may rise to the top in, in certain situations. Right. You got any more questions from Twitter? Um, make it the last just, one. Yeah, I'll make this the last one. Um, okay, so this is obviously a Ferrari fan. Do you see any reason why we should still be hopeful about Ferrari in 2016? No. They to have the fourth best chassis, if not the fifth. So it's more of a 2016 question. No, that's fine. Um, can, okay, but... can, I, can, I, can I get my answer to that in first? It doesn't matter. Yep. It doesn't matter because they're just not doing the right things at the right time. There's so many different elements that are not clicking in that team. It doesn't matter what they do. It's like whack-a-mole, isn't it? Like, if they, get, they think they get the problem, something else is going to pop up. I've just written them off completely for this season. I kind of see a circular thing going on at Ferrari as well because they tend to they tend to have problems, they resolve them, and then they come back six months later. It's like they never really get on top of anything. Um, we've seen it so many times with, with different situations that, um, yeah, I, I don't know with Ferrari. At the end of the day, I don't think they've really had performance since 2008. Um well, yeah. they haven't had a pole in Monaco for 15 years, and, and that's all about qualifying basic performance. Yeah, it goes to yep. show what, what kind of car they're working with or what philosophy they're working with. Right. Well, 
despite the fact that all of us here think that it would be fascinating to talk about this for another three hours, there are some people in the world who think the upcoming race might actually be interesting to watch. So how's about we talk about that for a few minutes? The Missed Apex Race Preview is brought to you by Dad Hub Podcast. Dad Hub Podcast looks at relationship and parenting from a dad's view because we know that you've been a parent as long as she has. Go to spannersready.com to find Dad Hub Podcast. How pro did that sound? That sounded exceptionally pro. I'm pretty pleased with myself and I'm looking forward to Canada a lot. This is my favorite track of the year. All right. Well, what say you, Catman? Oh, I love Canada. It's my favorite as well. It's it's just got everything. It's it's a little bit of street circuit just to, to catch people unawares. I'm, I'm hoping Max Verstappen joins the race at uh, the Wall of Champions this year. You mean the Wall um, of Mediocrity? <laughs> um, and it's got long straights. I think everybody misses a, a nice long straight since we lost Hockenheim, really. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just got a bit of everything. Yeah, and it may very well have the most momentous in terms of energy breaking point now that they've gotten rid of the chicane at Monza. I don't know that for sure, but I do know that previously that chicane was the premier breaking event of the season. Yeah. Yeah, And as you say, the the long straights, they don't actually have enough braking zones on the circuit to harvest uh, their, their energy back every single lap. So they have to deploy it in a slightly different way in Canada compared to other circuits. Yes, and then there's always the possibility that something will catch on fire and burn, which will entertain me greatly. The Mercedes brakes, you mean? Yeah, amongst other things, absolutely. Right, so, Summers, we saw an interesting appearance of a Red Bull challenge, and now we move on to Canada. Who who do you think the track really suits? And you would probably have the best idea amongst all of us. Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> Unfortunately, for the spectacle of it, I still think Mercedes are the, the teams to catch, obviously. Um, but I do think that Renault, uh, sorry, Renault, Red Bull have leaped <laughs> Ferrari with their tag engine. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's <laughs> but MG5904 uh, in the chat is saying that brake wear will be an issue. We've seen Mercedes, particularly Rosberg, suffer last year, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, I think it was back in 2014, both of the Mercedes within a lap of each other, I think their brakes just imploded. Hamilton had to retire and, and Rosberg limped to second behind Ricardo, I believe. Have they replaced uh, Rosberg's brake light from Monaco? Because he did use it quite extensively, didn't he? <laughs> okay, so I've got a nice wild prediction for Can- Can- Canada. Canada, if you'll let me have it, Matt. Canada, absolutely. All right. Why not? Force India on the podium again because if if they've done well in monaco there where that shows that doesn't that show that their chassis has come on a bit i know they rode their luck and they rode their strategy but they've got a merc power unit there like catman looks like he's agreeing with me force india to impress again yeah they they have the merc power unit which would be brilliant around this circuit but also i think if you remember a couple of years back perez was was almost on for a podium until he decided to to put his car in the way of felipe massa oh hang on whoa 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 whoa. (laughs) massa was the one that got the penalty for that wasn't he 
No, it was Perez. Was it Perez? Perez. Was it Perez. I'm trying to remember the instant. I'm going to go and try and find oh, that on YouTube. Or that, something that, like that. that one kept a lot of people busy at Photoshop yeah. for a long time. Now, uh, Vettel was just ahead of that battle. Did he get collected? I'm trying to remember if he got collected in that as well, or did they fly past his nose? They went either side of him, like that, that was it. That was Schumacher it. in yeah. uh, on Zonta in Spa, but sideways rather than normally. That was brilliant. So, right, right, right. Well, I'm going to go the opposite direction because honestly, Carlos Sainz should have been ahead of Perez had the team not mucked his pit stop up at Monaco. Does it feel like every team thought they should have been on the podium at Monaco? Pretty much. It's a yeah, well, you, you could be on the podium riding a tricycle if you're ahead. So, yes, absolutely. Harry Anto sees it as a tricycle in the world. <laughs> Well, I mean, Bob Fernley came out and said that both Force Indias should have been on the podium. I don't know where he got that from because, you know, Ricardo and Hamilton were a mile ahead of anybody else. They've extended the podium at Monaco, obviously. <laughs> Into the sea. Yeah. We, with Marcus Ericsson. Right. So, <laughs> is it official prediction time? Yeah. I think it is. Catman, who's going to win? Lewis Hamilton. It's, it's his circuit. He had his first race win here and he loves coming back. So... Uh, I think he'll be on on the first. I reckon uh, it's such a Mercedes-dominated power circuit here. I think you'll get Rosberg second, and I'll go for Hulkenberg in third. Why not? All right. Summers, what do you think? Well, although I'd love there to be a bit of a challenge from the other teams, I still think it's going to be Mercedes. So, unfortunately, um, I'm going to go with Rosberg for, for the win, um, Hamilton second, and uh, Danny Ricciardo for third. So you, right. you're thinking the Red Bulls are going to get up there. Cool. Spanish, what did you say? Oh, no, go ahead, Catman. I would say that um, the Red Bulls' low downforce package has been particularly more efficient over the last few years in comparison to when they first started winning championships and they were nowhere in Canada. Yeah, and, and Monza, they just seem to bring out a different car. Yeah, exactly. It's important to say, though, that um, the teams don't class Montreal as a low downforce circuit. It's still classed as a medium downforce circuit. Um, so yeah, they obviously all bring different packages for, for Montreal, but it's not actually classed as a low downfall circuit. Okay. So my predictions are for Ericsson to drive into the sea, I think, uh, a force, <laughs> a, India, river. a force India onto the, onto the podium, uh, Danny Kvyat to have another terrible weekend and continue blaming the team. Have you, it's been a constant stream of Kvyat saying things about Toro Rosso as if he just he doesn't want to be here. And it's just like every time I hear him say something against Toro Rosso, all I can hear in my head is, and Formula E. That's where he's going to end up. So, so <laughs> Kvyat to be... The World Championship. No, no offence to Formula E, but Kvyat to be at Formula E before the European Grand Prix. Uh, and then Lewis Hamilton, if no other factors get in the way, easily going to take the win, pole and win for Lewis Hamilton. Yes, it is one of his favorite tracks, and betting against him would be the worst bet you could make on this particular circuit. Hey, I've got a quiz, man. All right, quiz away. Yes, I've looked things up on the internet and will act as if I knew them anyway. Who won the inaugural race in Montreal in 1978? Shout it out. Anyone have a guess? Well, I don't know if once. Gilles Villeneuve. <laughs> Gilles Villeneuve, yes, and the circuit was named in his honour 
1982. Um, and if you want to learn more about the often tragic history of the Canadian Grand Prix, we are going to be having a series of Canadian Grand Prix articles on SpannersReady.com by the absolutely fantastic Carlo Carluccio. If you want to know about Canadian history, read it for the young writers that want to learn about creating a narrative. Make sure you read what this guy has to offer at SpannersReady.com. Who is the most successful driver in the history of the Gilles Villeneuve circuit? Circuit de Montreal would be Schumacher. Oh, it is. He has won there seven times, has been on the podium 12 times, and sealed pole position on six different occasions. How many Canadian Grand Prix have there been? All guess. 38. 18. Uh, That's, 20. Lower. That's lower. Right. He's gone lower. 28. Some is lower or higher. No, I'm sorry. Did I say 28? It should be 38, right? 78 to 2016? Yeah. <laughs> Go on, Summers. Give us a guess. 28. Mm. Summers? Yeah, you're on mute, mate. You had one job. I think you're still on mute. Uh-oh. We've <laughs> lost your audio. <laughs> Hold up fingers. How many for the tens? Went... You might have muted yourself on Skype by mistake. Three. 33, he says. Okay, the highest one. So the answer is actually 52 Canadian Grand Prix, not Montreal Grand Prix, you see. So I'm going to give 52 points for Catman. No one scored any points in the previous questions because I wasn't very happy with the answers. Name me. You get a point for each. Champions who have crashed into the Wall of Champions. Turn 13 at the Gilles Villeneuve circuit. Damon Hill. Schumacher. Yep, both point each. Jacques Villeneuve. Yep, two for you. Uh, two more breaking it no come on doesn't go fast enough to crash Vettel yes and another champion of the inverted commas champion Button (laughs) Jensen Button (laughs) and uh, and that (laughs) and that wraps up my quiz the winner is Catman with 472 points a missed Apex quiz record well done Catman amazing Uh, I'll retire now Uh, and uh, over to you for the plugs Matt over to me for that Oh, plugs and stuff. This is where, like, uh, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, no, no. The, the, scant, the scant reward for appearing on Missed Apex podcast is you get to push your stuff. We'll have to push Summers' for him. If you want to quickly WhatsApp it to me uh, and tell me what to plug, I will do it for you. But obviously, Catman first. Okay, so you can find me on Twitter at CatmanF1 and also my own website, CatmanF1.com. But I shall soon start to be writing for F1Fanatic.co.uk. Oh, interesting. Matt, we know where you are, don't we? You can find me on the Twitters at MattPT55. You can look for my race and quality reviews on thejudge13.com. And, of course, go buy my wife's book, A Common Scandal, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any e-reader outlet. Can you do me a favor, Matt? Can you personally remind me to buy that? Because I do keep meaning to buy it. I just forget out of uselessness. But I, I definitely want to employ that tactic of occupying my wife so that I can do things like podcast and watch the Formula One. Plan. I will definitely remind you to do that. Summers would like you to go to summersf1.co.uk. Now, people said that they struggle to find him on the internet because they keep writing summers, as in the summer season. But think of it like in more of a brummy accent, summer. So it's S-O-M-E-R-S. <laughs> f1.co.uk of course he is at the goliath that is motorsport.com i would like people to find me matt at spannersready.com 
We have podcasts there on Motorsport, F1, E-Radio Show. We have Dad Hub Podcast. We have a pilot of an astronomy podcast that I'd love to get feedback on. We have a couple of NSFW shows on there as well. We have Driving with Dan. Do not listen to that in the car with your kids. If you click on the F1 tab at SpannersReady.com, you can find a couple of articles that are on there. And as I said, all week leading up to the Canadian GP, we're going to have some Canadian Grand Prix specials. Then leading up to Baku, we are going to have a lot of European Grand Prix history specials as well as hopefully some angry race reviews, Matt. I'm going to play some music for you to give a fly outro to. Matt's giving me a weird look, so I guess it remains for me to say wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This has been Tech Time on Missed Apex Podcast. Matt, can I suggest something like, this has been Trumpets Tech Time. Thanks for stopping by. You stay classy. Yeah, sure. You stay classy, Chad. You just didn't write it down in the notes, man. That's all. It's all my fault. I knew it was my fault. This is why you're the podcasting wife. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.